We're going to be finishing up our series in the Ten Commandments, and this is a series that we started back in September, if you can believe it. That seems like so long ago, um, and we've just seen so many good good principles and rules for our lives, and I'm sure if you're like me, you've mastered all of them now, and you don't make any more mistakes in life. You're honoring God. You're loving people. That's not really the point of this. The point was to show us our need for a Savior, to show us how much God loved us, to send Jesus to die for us. And this morning, we're going to wrap up this series by looking at kind of one of the most unique commands out of the Ten Commandments, and it's this. It's don't covet. Don't covet. Um, if, you, if you're like me, you might not use the word covet in your everyday language with people, And so I want to just explain a little bit about what this word means and the significance of it. At its most basic basic principle, it means you don't want what other people have. Don't want what belongs to other people. Um, Some synonyms would be like to lust after something, to crave something, to envy something, to obsess over something, so much so that it takes this place in your life and pushes everything else out of the way. And here's what God said in Exodus 20, 17. Last commandment, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So you might say, uh, well, this is, this is unique, and, and how do you even measure this? Because this is really what God is saying here is this really is in your thoughts. It's not as much an action like do not steal, do not murder, those things. This is a thought process, and this just shows us that God is operating on a different level than we are. So you, couldn't, you wouldn't have been able to quantify in a person if they were coveting or not. Maybe down the line you would have, but really this shows that God is the one who is really judging and knows our thoughts. And so for the ancient Israelites, um, this was important. But I think today this is just as important as it was thousands of years ago when it was given to the people. So let's break this down a little bit, kind of thought by thought. And let's first look at, you must not covet your neighbor's house. Now, if you watch HGTV... I'm sure that you covet houses, right? I mean, that channel exists to covet houses. We binge watch Fixer Upper or House Hunters or something like that, and we just think to ourselves, ah, my house is the worst, right? I need a bigger house. I, I need a better neighborhood. We start to complain about what we have and what we don't have. And so this for us today is just as applicable, especially those of us who have Netflix and watch HGTV shows, right? The next thing, don't covet your neighbor's wife. We do this all the time as well. Wives, we, husbands, we can do this. Man, God, why can't my wife be like her wife? She always goes to the gym. She's in good shape. She's aging well. She never bickers at me when I don't mow the lawn. You know, she's on and on and on. We say, there's so many great women out there. Why couldn't I got, have gotten one of those, you know? Why am I stuck with this one? <laughs> I'm not condoning this, just saying that this is sometimes the reality. Wives can do it too, though, right? We, they say, oh, he's so good with the kids. He, he rubs her feet at night after he gets home from work. He does the dishes. You know, he, he's just so great. Why can't my husband be more like him? We do this often. The next part is pretty, pretty uh, contextually relevant for the Israelites, but it's, 
it really what it's talking about is possessions, male or female servant or ox or donkey. So these are possessions. So like your neighbor's boat. Why can't I have that boat? Your neighbor's car, even stuff like vacations. Why can't I go on great vacations, you know, to Disneyland and and to the Grand Canyon and sometimes even to Europe and to Hawaii? You know, I'm lucky if I even get to go visit grandma in Wyoming, right? We, we tell ourselves these things, we covet these things that people have, and then, and then I love what God does here is because he names these three specific things, and then he says, but really anything else that belongs to your neighbor, right? He says these three things, and then anything else. So this might be a position. You know, why does that person have that job? I'm way smarter than them. Why does this person have uh, this starting position on the football team? I'm more talented than them. Why can't I have the intellect of this person or the position? You know, we do this all the time in life. And so I hope that you can see, even though this was written thousands of years ago, this is just as applicable for us today as it was for the Israelite people. And so just as we've done with the other commandments, we've we've dug into it a little bit more and then we look at a solution. So let's dig a little bit more into the heart behind this command of don't covet. The first thing that we need to know is that sin starts in the heart. Sin starts in the heart. You know, sin is any time, simply put, any time we blatantly disobey God and go our own way. It's any time that we know what we're supposed to do, know what God has called us to do, but we instead choose to do what we want to do because it is more convenient for us. That's what sin is. And the Bible says that all of us sin, all of us fall short of God's glorious standard. And so the, the point of this, though, is that the sin isn't just in the action. It actually comes before that. So looking at the last four commandments, we don't first sin when we murder someone. We don't first sin when we commit adultery. We don't first sin when we lie to someone. We don't first sin when we steal that piece of candy from our kids, right? That's not where sin first happens. Sin first happens in your heart. This is exactly what James is saying in James 1, 14 and 15. He says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. You know, sin, uh, James, in this, in this passage, he, in the original language, he's, he's using this fishing imagery, these metaphors of being kind of hooked by sin and pulled away by our own evil desires. And you can see that it's kind of a process. It starts small, and then it gets a little bit bigger. It starts with temptation, a very inward thing, and then it moves to death. So, so an example would be, you know, if, if you're coveting your friend's house, you say, oh, I want that house. I wish they didn't have that house. I wish I could live in that house. And then you start to kind of resent the person internally. And then maybe you start to say bad things about them. You start to slander their name. Maybe they find out about that you're doing that and call you out. And then you lie about, no, I didn't say that about you. You know, I, I, I love you. You're great. You know, I'm happy for you. And it goes on and on and on, and you can see this little thing that started internally has, ter- has blown up into this big thing that can destroy relationships. It leads to death. And so, you know, really this first point is about taking ownership 
of your own thoughts, your own actions, the things that you're doing in life, the way that you're viewing people. And honestly, this is something that is really between you and God. It's between you and God because really only you and God know. And sometimes you might not even know. You might subconsciously be not liking or not happy for a person. And so we need to ask ourselves questions like, you know, am I happy? Am I generally happy for people when they succeed at things? Or, or do I get jealous? Do I get envious? Do, do I get upset when people accomplish things? In your own life, maybe this is, you know, am I actually grateful for the things that God has given me? Or am I constantly bickering and complaining and, and wanting more and more and more? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. And, and God needs to be the one to show us and to help us make a change in those areas of our lives. The next thing coveting does is coveting means that you're never, never happy with what you have. You're never going to be happy with what you have. You see, we all pursue happiness in America, I believe, to a certain extent, some more than others. We're all looking for happiness. We're all looking for the thing that's going to bring us that joy and fulfillment and purpose in our lives. But the irony with coveting is that when we covet, we're wanting these things that we think are going to bring happiness. But the reason we're not happy in the first place is because we're coveting. So we say we need all these things. All these things are going to bring us happiness. But in reality, the thing that's robbing us of that happiness is that we're coveting. So we need to remove coveting from our life. We'll talk about how to do that in just a minute. But really, it, it means that you're always going to be desiring what you don't have. You're always going to be wanting something else. Enough is never going to be enough. Some specific ways that this can show itself in our lives is, is that constantly wanting more. We constantly want more. Watch any commercial. It's saying, you need more. You need more. You need more of this. You need more house. You need more car. You need more money. You need a better job. You need a better this. You know, things that aren't in and of themselves bad, but they become bad when we obsess and we crave and we have to have those things in our lives to be happy. You know, I, I know in my own life the times that I've obsessed over something and you tell yourself, oh, you know what, I just need that one thing. Like that's the missing piece to my entire life, right? If I just get that, everything else is going to click all the time, on all cylinders. And so we save, we work hard, we do everything that we can to get that thing, and then the day comes when we, we buy that house and we're in it, and then we're so happy, and then we lay down at night and it's like, huh, I like kind of feel the same as I did before. Like it didn't really satisfy, and then you think, oh, well, obviously it's because I don't have the 80-inch TV yet to put in my basement, right? That's why I can't just have an empty big house. I have to have the big TV. I have to have the nice couches. And you go on and on and on. And then you realize none of this stuff is actually fulfilling me. None of this stuff is actually making me happy at all. And, and we tell ourselves this over and over again like we're fooling ourselves. Coveting means we are always constantly wanting more. But enough is never going to be enough. The second way we can see it in our lives is we hoard what we have. This is my stuff. My stuff is my stuff. You don't get my stuff. I've worked hard for my stuff. I, 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 you, know, you don't know what I've gone through, the sacrifices that I've made. This is mine. Why do we teach kids to share? 
Have you ever wondered that? And then we grow up and, and we just hoard everything that we have. And this is what coveting will do. And one of my, the most impactful things that's ever happened in my life was I went on a missions trip in high school to Mexico. And uh, it, was, it was quite the trip. There's so many stories. Our bus broke down in Prim, Nevada. We had to stay at Whiskey Pete's where someone was literally murdered the week after we left at that hotel casino, <laughs> which we were afraid was going to happen. But, but that's not the point. Um, the point of the story, when we finally got to Mexico, there was one day where we went out to a village, and we were just talking with these people who lived in this village, and they lived in watermelon boxes. Some of the people had cinder blocks to hold the houses together a little bit uh, more sturdy, but, but they all lived in these watermelon boxes that were probably all less than 50 square feet. Some people had you know, 10 plus people staying in these houses on dirt. It was just incredible poverty. And I remember we went and we prayed with this one family um, that was an older woman and she had had kids and grandkids and we prayed with her and in that culture you pray, everyone's praying at the same time out loud. So it's not just one person and everyone listening, everyone's praying at the same time. And so it was just a really powerful experience in and of itself. But then the most impactful thing was when we finished and this woman was starting to give us her things from her house. She was like grabbing her silverware, her, her, the possessions that she had, and she was giving it to us because she believed that it was a, more of a blessing to give than to receive. And we're like, I don't want this. Like, I, this is trash. You know, I'm just going to throw this away. But she wouldn't let us not take it. Like, that, that would have been robbing her of her blessing. And I just remember thinking, wow, that is so opposite of how we are as Americans. You know, if you come over to my house, I'm not going to take my TV off the wall and give it to you. I'm not going to give you my knife set. You know, that's weird. Why would I do that? That's mine, right? But, but see, the point is, is this woman, she, had, she probably got it more than almost every American because she understood this stuff is temporary. I don't need this stuff. Th- these people can have these things. It was a blessing for me to be able to bless them. So coveting can make us hold on to things so tightly that we're never willing to share it with anyone else. And then the last thing, coveting can make us constantly complain about what we do have. We all have people like that in our lives that are just, when you see them, they're just instantly complaining about what they have or don't have. Oh, I don't have a big enough TV. You know, it's only 60 inches. I need a 65 or... You know, I have only four bathrooms in my house. I need five bathrooms, you know, because we have too many people now. And I have the iPhone 10 instead of the iPhone 11. I need that, right? You know, this is pretty challenging because I think we all do this to a certain extent. But there's some people who do it more. And so I want you to, I want you to in the next couple of weeks, sit down with a trusted friend over coffee, over lunch, and just ask them, invite them to speak into your life without any condemnation or defensiveness, and ask them, you know, how am I a covetous person? Because sometimes it's hard to see that in ourselves. We don't see that in ourselves. We don't see that we're always complaining and we're never grateful for what we have. So invite someone to speak that truth into your life. And then ultimately, I think coveting can affect and destroy relationships. This is what James talks about in James 4. He says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? 
Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're a, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Some of you have this verse hung up in your house, you know, above your mantle, that this is your family verse. You're always scheming and at war with each other, right? I remember when I was growing up, my brother, who was five years older than me, we were not together for too long, but he constantly beat me up over the TV remote who got to have it, um, and one time, you know, Talk about like fighting dirty. I got a wrist rocket and I shot him with one of those peppermints. It was pretty, pretty rough. I got a good beating that day. Let's just say that. But you see, it was, it was over because of what he had or, and what I didn't have. We, we fought and we schemed and, and we, not killed, but maybe wanted to kill to get that TV remote or that thing that he had. And this is how we can be in families. This is how we can be in friendships. And toxic relationships are like this. You know, I think of Lord of the Rings when, when Gollum, if, if you've seen the movie or read the books, Gollum will do anything he can to get his hands on the ring, even kill his best friend to get it. Hopefully we're not to that extent, but, but this is what coveting does to us. It makes us internally dislike people, and then it comes out in our actions, and we want what they have, and they shouldn't have that because we deserve it. So what's the solution? We've, we've, we've looked at the root of the sin starts in our heart. Coveting means you're never going to be happy with what you have. The solution is to stop watching HGTV, number one. But then more importantly, two godly attributes. We need contentment and generosity because those are the keys to overcoming coveting. Contentment and generosity. Contentment is actually the opposite of coveting. Contentment is being happy with what you have, not wanting anything else because God has already given you enough. And when you really take a step back and look at your life, look at your health, look at everything that's happening in your life, it's so easy to be grateful for everything that God has done for you. It's so grateful. And if, and if you don't Believe me with that. Go to another country. Go on a missions trip. Go to Haiti in January. You'll see extreme poverty that you couldn't even imagine living in. We are so blessed where we live. And so really contentment is an attitude of gratitude. It's being thankful for what you have. First Timothy 6 verse 6. Paul's writing this to Timothy. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. He's saying contentment is great wealth because when you're content, you realize really how rich you are. You're not focusing on how poor you are or what you don't have, but all the things that you do have in your life. You know, the best place that you can be, I really believe this, the best place that you can be in your life is pursuing after God, is trusting in Jesus, honoring God, helping others, mentoring them in a small group, and being content with where you are in life, with what you have. And this isn't to say that it's bad to go for that promotion or it's bad to save up to buy. That's, that's not the point here. Again, that's between you and God, the reason why you want that thing. But contentment is saying, walking into the store and saying, I don't need anything in here. Or not even walking in the store, right? The same guy who wrote this, Paul, wrote Philippians 4.13 which is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. It says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That doesn't mean you can win the Super Bowl. 
or you can break the world record in the 100 meters or anything like that, what people try to make it mean. The context of that verse is Paul is saying, I can be content in any situation that I'm in because of what Christ did for me. Because of Christ's strength, I can do all things. I can be content in any situation. If you know anything about Paul, Paul was in prison. He was beaten. He was almost killed. He was made fun of. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. I mean, Paul, looking at him, we would pity a person like that, right? But he's saying, I'm totally content because I have everything that I need in Jesus. Go today, read Philippians 4. It's it's a great chapter. And write Philippians 4 on your arm or on your hand or on your credit card before you go into the store. Before you buy something, ask yourself, why am I buying this? Why do I need this? Do I need this? Can I be content with what I already have? That's really the first thing is contentment. The second thing, if contentment is the attitude, then generosity is the action. Generosity is the action. It says this in in 1 Timothy 6.18. It says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. You see, there's a great principle, there's a great rule in life. The more generous you are, the less, the more, the more you're content you're going to be and the less that you want. When, when you hold on things like that woman in, in Mexico, when you hold on to things so loosely, you realize that you have enough. You, you have already been so blessed. And so then you can turn around and you can be a blessing to other people. And not only that, you can be a cheerful blesser. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, you can cheerfully give. When you you are content, you can be generous. Generous with your time, with your talent, with your treasure, with your time. You're going to take the time, even though mentoring is hard, you're going to take the time to initiate with that person, to meet with them because it matters that much to you. And your time is something that you can be generous with, right? You're going to use your talent, the things that God has blessed you with, to benefit, benefit the church and to benefit everyone in your life. You're going to serve, and you're going to serve well, and you're going to enjoy it, and you're going to you know, feel so fulfilled because you're using what God has given you, what God has blessed you with. And then, and then your treasure, your money, you're not going to hold on to your money so tight. You're going to step out in faith. You're going to give. You're going to support Missions Week. You're going to support the Legacy Project because Alpine has already impacted thousands of people for Jesus in our almost 20 years, and we want to impact thousands more people as we move forward, and we need your generosity to be able to do that. But why are we generous? I mean, I think it's always good to ask why. It's not just because I told you so. It's not because a person told you so. We're generous because, as 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, it says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, Yet for our sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. The generous grace of Jesus. You see, grace is not something that we work toward. It's not something that we earn. Grace is freely given. And I love how it says the generous grace. So it's not only grace, it's like beyond grace. And many of you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, Jesus came. That's why we're here on 
here today at church, that's why we show up every week. We look to the cross. We look to what Jesus did for us on the cross. He paid for our sin, for our imperfections, for the areas that we fall short in. He, he makes it so that we look at the Ten Commandments and don't say to ourselves, ah, I can't live up to that, and instead say, God, thank you for sending Jesus so that I don't have to live up to that because it's impossible for me to do that. See, Jesus took on all of our imperfections, died on the cross, and he rose. He defeated death. Through him, we can have eternal life, and and that's a free gift. You can't earn that. God has blessed us so much through Jesus and Jesus coming to this earth, and that's really why uh, we celebrate Christmas. We look forward to Jesus, God with us, who walked on this earth, who dealt with the same emotions and the same temptations that we had and overcame it so that we could have life. And so as we wrap up this series, you know, I hope that your takeaway, again, is that how faithful God is, how loving God is to send Jesus to die for you. And then don't complicate it. Look at what it says under there. I get to use my laser. Love God, love people. All of the Ten Commands, all of the Old Testament commandments can be summed up in loving God and in loving people. So I encourage you to rely on God, rely on the Holy Spirit as He leads you. And uh, really, this morning, as we talk about coveting, that you would, you would ask God for contentment and that you would step out in faith and generosity. So let's pray this morning. God, we do thank you, Lord, for how generous and loving and merciful and compassionate and forgiving you are, God, even when we don't deserve it. So many times we choose to ignore you, ignore what you've called us to do, God, but even then, you still love us, you still pursue after us, God. You first pursued us so that we could pursue you, and so I pray for each and every single person in this room. God, that you would meet them where they're at. There's so many stories represented here, so many people going through different things, God, but I know that every single person, regardless of what they're going through, needs you. They need your presence. They need the Holy Spirit. They need Jesus. God, so help us to humble ourselves to you. God, help us to read your word, Lord, and not just read it as an obligation, but actually read it, God, how can this change my life? And then rely on you to make that change. Lord, and if there's anyone here this morning maybe who hasn't made the decision to follow you, to pursue you, God, that you would just speak to them right now and let them know, God, just what you did for them through Jesus, through the cross. Lord, we uh, seek to just grow in our relationship with you. Each and every step, God, give us grace. Help us to rely on you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.